welcome to the Happy Manifesto podcast. My name is Maureen Egbe. And I'm Henry. Um, and today uh, we have a fabulous guest on. We have Amy Edmondson, uh, the founder of Psychological Safety. She's written five books. Her latest book is The Right Kind of Wrong. And she is the number one management guru, according to Thinkers 50. That's awesome. She is fabulous. And we always use um, Amy in our workshops and our and our courses. Absolutely. So what is your joy this week? Well, I have just come back from Romania and I, oh. te- I yes, it was fabulous. I attended a lovely wedding in Romania, but what stood out for me was the customer service that I received at the hotel. It was fabulous. Um, innovative in the terms of that we didn't speak the same language and the staff found <laughs> different ways to try and communicate with us, you know, but it, it was brilliant. Getting out the phone, doing translations, but the service was brilliant. Um, I was made to feel really welcome. And I really did love the country. I do love the country, especially as it wasn't a place that was on my list to go. Yeah, and you weren't so sure about it when, when I talked before, were you? It wasn't that I wasn't sure about it. It was that um, I had ex- had negative experience from a country that's close to it, which I won't say, which it was. But also the um, when you go and review in terms of that, there, and let's be clear about this, there's not many black people in Romania. And I did get stares. You know, especially there was a coach load of black people, you know, going through the village and it was like, oh, <laughs> but but it was a lovely reception. And I would encourage people to, you know, go beyond the typical countries and visit different places. Well, I'm about to go to the Carpathian Mountains in Romania um, next May because we're going to a wedding in Bulgaria. Oh, next door. <laughs> Fabulous. So what's your joy, Henry? What gave you joy? Well, I was meeting with with a civil servant recently, and he told me about smarter working, uh, something called PASS 3000, which is about the civil service is encouraging our way of working. They're, they're encouraging leadership that trusts their people to do a great job, uh, that encourages employees to have the power to get on with it. Um, it's absolutely what what we're talking about. We need to get we need to to get into the civil service. Well, we are in the uh, quite a bit of the civil service at the moment. But um, uh, I just thought it was fabulous that that is what the civil service is talking about, rather than being a hierarchy with lots of levels of approval. That's a big change. There it is. That really is. Okay, I think it's time for Amy. Okay, welcome, Amy. We are so pleased to have you on our podcast today. Thank you. So to kick us off, talking about psychological safety, have you got an example where an organisation has moved from a workplace that did not have psychological safety to one that did? Um, yes, yes. In fact, I, I, I have several, but one that um, one that I spent a lot of time studying some years ago was a, a Midwestern, in the US, a Midwestern hospital, tertiary care, children's hospital, uh, that um, realized that it was very unsafe for people to speak up when they needed help or about a mistake. A, a hospital that worked very hard to turn uh, the turn the culture around to one where people were um, believed it to be safe and desirable and expected uh, that they speak up about error. I, I would also offer the the wonderful and well documented case study of Alan Mulally at Ford who profoundly changed the executive team to one in which people did feel 
able to speak up and be and and, and you know and have psychological safety and speak the truth to each other. And I think in the book you you also rec- reference Microsoft Satya Nadella. Yeah, Satya Nadella. He uh, who came came into the top job in about 2014 and decided to really shift the culture uh, from one of knowing to one of learning to, to, to put the idea of growth mindset and, and stretching and taking risks and even having things go wrong as part of the way Microsoft needed to operate together. Well, the way Nadella put it was that we're really, we have been for a long time because of our success, we've turned into a culture of know-it-alls, right? And he says, I want us to be a culture of learn-it-alls. Now, human beings are naturally predisposed to having the sense that we know. We look around, we think we're seeing reality. We don't think, oh, I'm seeing reality filtered through my background, biases, expectations, expertise, and so forth. We think we, we think we know. And in fact, we don't know everything, right? We need to get in the habit of choosing learning over knowing. That's such a great concept because I can imagine the difficulty from being a know-it-all to, to learning. So how did you get them to shift to that mindset? No, it, it's not one thing. It's, it's, it's a handful of related, supportive, complementary factors, in, including going back to basics, going back to first principles of what do the, what do the customers really need from us? How can we how can we help our customers, our corporate customers by and large, solve their problems effectively with our software? You know, and 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 that means becoming not just an order taker. You know, we've got we've got the software that virtually every single business in the world has to have just to operate. So how how many users do you have? Okay, sign here, send a check. Instead, starting to really understand them and team up with them to help them use our technology to better solve their problems their um, for for their customers so it's a very different mindset and once you once you once you help people shift to that mindset it engages their problem solving brains it engages their their willingness to you know to get curious uh, about the opportunities the things that they could do and and uh, and help their customers solve and that's a that is a better mindset for virtually any company in any industry but it this is a was a particularly good um case study around making that shift nowadays where a lot of organizations are working remotely you know people are working out from home how can you create psychological safety in that kind of environment well you know i have written about this um and and it's something it's something that has to be done with a little bit of a heavy hand and and by that i mean assume if you're working remotely if you're meet, if you're not seeing people at all that's one thing or seeing people in in mediated uh, meetings through through technology don't make the mistake of assuming that if people have something to say they'll say it or that people feel psychologically safe to contribute their knowledge their questions their expertise their concerns in fact assume it's probably not present especially in the remote workplace and then once you once you make that assumption, you realize I guess I'm going to have to do something to bring those bring those voices, bring those thoughts forward. And the something that one has to do ranges from the simple act of asking questions. You know, Henry, what's on your mind? What are you What are you seeing out there? Um, what are you excited about? What are you struggling with? So that you feel your voice is invited into this conversation. So that's a simple sort of behavioral invitation that it's safe. We want to hear from you. And 
relatedly monitor your response, especially in remote work. People are looking very closely at your at your face at, at times in a way that you know in a, in a room we might be a little bit less clued into the, the facial expression. So we have to be quite thoughtful in how we're responding to people and appreciative about what they're saying and not punishing people for saying, um, you know, they need help or, or they have a concern or they have a different point of view. Another thing in remote work is you can be, you can be a lot more um, systematic in your use of tools. You can, you can use the polling functions. You can use the chat function. You can, you can um, explicitly do a round. You know, we're going to, we're going to just walk through the screen of faces to, have everybody weigh in. So it's a lot like life in person, but with a heavier hand, with more structure, more intent, more more deliberateness around both the importance of hearing from people and making it safe for that to happen and and the uh, the worry that it could not happen. So that really sounds important. And I like the, the point that you make about monitoring your response because it can become so easy to ask a question, just to ask a question, but not actually really hear. So that person felt that they're being listened to. Yes. You know, it's, it's um, psychological safety is often thought of as a speaking up culture, but it's also a listening up culture. If you're not listening and really looking like you're listening and looking like you, you're interested, which best be interested, then it, it will die out pretty quickly. So coming to, to the, your new book, The Right Kind of Wrong, tell us about the difference between basic mistakes, complex mistakes, and intelligent mistakes. I will say I actually distinguish between the term mistake and failure. Many people don't, right? In, in colloquial um, language, sometimes people say, they, they use the words interchangeably, but a mistake has a, the, the technical definition of a mistake or an error, they're synonymous, is that there was a right way to do it. There, you know, there was a recipe or a process to follow and you accidentally deviated from it, right? So that's a mistake. And many failures are caused by mistakes for sure, but there are many failures also that are not caused by mistakes. They are the um, the disappointing results of an experiment in new territory. Right? So there, if there's no existing knowledge about how to get a result you're trying to get, it's not a mistake. So for example, if you go on a, a blind date with someone, a friend of a friend, and someone thought you'd really like each other, but you don't, um, it's not a mistake. It was smart to take the risk, right? It was smart to go on the date and 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 see, there was good reason to believe it might work. But it was a failure because you didn't it, it didn't click right. You didn't really want to see to see that person again. So so a failure, not a mistake. And now that preamble helps me to distinguish between basic failures, complex failures, and intelligent failures. Well, basic failure is the kind that is indeed caused by mistake. Right? We're in we're in familiar territory. Um, there's a there's a right way to do something. You know, make the chocolate chip cookies or what have you, and by mistake, you forgot to put in the sugar, right? They taste awful or they don't taste very good anyway, right? So that's that's a, a failed batch of cookies um, because of this, this little mistake uh, that was made. Um, basic mistakes have just a single cause. Um, sometimes they're big. You know, there are plane crashes that were the result of a basic failure, a basic failure to turn the anti-ice on, for example, when it should have been on in a cold 
icy winter day. Um, and of course, that can be a, that's a tragic failure. But in my categorization, it's still it's still basic. And I hope you hear me as saying because I mean to. Basic failures are preventable. And when we're at our best, whether as individuals or organizations, we're preventing as many basic failures as possible. If in, in fact we can aspire to prevent all of them. Now, a complex failure is multi-causal. Um, they're the kinds of perfect storms that happen when a handful of factors come together in just the wrong way to produce a failure. But any one of those factors on their own would not have been sufficient to cause a failure. So small deviations, you know, there's a, um, let's say you, you felt to make a delivery for a key corporate customer um, because you, your supplier didn't bring you enough last time. And then there was a, you know, some, some employees who were sick, so they couldn't come to work that day. You know, a bunch of things that if only one of them had happened, you would have been okay. But because the perfect storm, you have a complex failure. Complex failures are also theoretically, largely, not entirely, but preventable. When we're at our best, we're picking up the small signals of, of problems and we're catching and correcting on the fly. So those are both, you know, not good, not worth celebrating. Um, they're part they're part of life, but they're not um, they're not something we want to aspire to have more of. Intelligent failures, on the other hand, are the kinds of failures that we should in our lives and in our companies aspire to have more. They are the undesired results of thoughtful forays into new territory, meaning they are failed experiments. Right? So a failure is intelligent if it's in pursuit of a goal, you know, maybe it's a life partner, maybe it's a new product development project in new territory. You can't you can't just look it up on the internet to find out how to do it. And you've done your homework, right? You've done some good solid thinking to lead you to believe this might work and it's as small as possible. Right? So an intelligent failure, um, you don't invest more time, money, resources than you have to to get the next bit of knowledge that you need. And those are quintessential activities in R&D, of course, in science, of course, elite athletes, of course, but they're, um, they're part of progress in any field, you know, on the leading edge of any field. So I'm trying to process, as you said, about the difference between like the basic mistakes that you know, what you describe as mistakes. Basic failure. Basic failure and understanding that um, having an intelligence approach means that doing something differently so even though that something may have been done the way before like you had to process a procedure that you've been doing before but you're going to do something differently that is now termed as an intelligence yes i mean it's you're 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 deliberately or consciously trying to make progress in somewhat unknown territory you know and that doesn't mean you have to be a scientist on the you know, uh, leading edge of some scientific field. It could be just, you know, trying to find a life partner and you have to go on some some dates that, that don't work out, right? Um, in fact, most of them don't work out, but fortunately, you know, all you need is one, right? That, 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 that does work out. And, and so- You have to go through those disappointments. Right, you're willing to endure the disappointments of things that don't work out in new territory, because um, the reward is is enough when it does, right? Which, whereas you know you shouldn't be willing to endure the failure of you know a bad batch of biscuits because 
if you were paying attention, you could do it right, right? Now, I know this is obvious. It's sort of obvious in retrospect, but the way we talk about failures in the in, especially in the in the corporate world, you know, it's either the happy talk, you know, fail off and, uh, you know, break break things, you know, failure is so great, or it's the, come on, I live in the real world, failure is not an option. And the truth is both rhetorics have validity, but they're context dependent, right? So you should never be failing fast on the assembly line, right? You don't do, you know, you, you should be executing beautifully, right? Whereas, whereas in the R and D lab, of course you have to be doing this. Or if you're an entrepreneur in a startup, you want to find out quickly the things that work and don't work. And, and that's going to involve failures along the way. So our, our rhetoric has just been a little bit um, either omnibus right, or sort of one size fits all, which just doesn't really make sense. And that, and I think that's led people to be, either confused or anxious or both. So at Happy, we talk about celebrating mistakes. So it sounds like we should be talking about celebrating failures. We should, you know, I think we should celebrate people's willingness to speak up about mistakes. Like you don't, nobody really, I mean, in an, be, let's be honest, nobody really wants their mistake celebrated. Like, okay, I made a mistake. I mean, it was like, it was somewhere between stupid and absolutely understandable, but I don't want that celebrated, but I absolutely want to be a part of a team or a company where we truly celebrate our honesty, our speed of, of doing that. But, but I do know that one of the things that people at, at Happy love is the fact that if they take a risk, if they do something new, if they do something different, then if it doesn't work out, we'll celebrate it. And that, that, absolutely. Yeah. No, that's exact. That's an intelligent failure. And that's, absolutely worth celebrating. In fact, I wish more companies did it because it, it first, it sends the message that it's okay to take risks. In fact, it's good. We, we applaud your risk taking. Second of all, it shares the knowledge quickly because people like to come to a celebration and, you know, they hear about it. And then that means they're less at risk for making the same mistake. Uh, you know, I mean, sorry, the same failure a second time in your company because it shouldn't, you shouldn't be so happy the second time. And then third, Thirdly, it helps people speak up quickly, I think. If they know they're going to get a happy response, they, they will sort of, instead of letting it fester, they'll speak up quickly. And I've read somewhere where you talked about that, you know, when you go through that failure, that actually, you know, where we have the fear of, um, fear of failure, when you do feel that you get that joy, you know, at Happy, we're about joy, creating joy in the workplace, but actually that's what can come from failing, failing right. Because we've got the knowledge, you know, we, you can celebrate the fact, in fact, you know, you don't, you can celebrate the fact of trying hard. You can celebrate the fact of, you know, getting some new insights and new knowledge, you know, even though things didn't go the way we had hoped. You can celebrate the continued commitment to that area of, you know, of work or contribution. And the, all of that is really truly worth celebrating. And it's also worth celebrating that our signals are so finely tuned that we catch things quickly and collectively. Now, in the later part of the book, you talk about how we have to take responsibility. And I love the example that you put in about uh, Barack Obama. That is a great story. So um, healthcare.gov, I don't know if this really made it across the pond, but um, this was the website set, set up by the uh, uh, Obama administration to administer 
the Accountable Care Act, which is law. So, you know, the, the law got passed. And, and by the way, some of the backstory to this failure is that in a way, lawmakers, that's what they do. They make laws. They sort of assume, and presidents as well, they were kind of seeing the passage of the law as the victory, which it was. It was a huge victory. But, but then not really recognizing adequately that getting it implemented on a website was going to be an enormous innovation project. And, and the reason for that is you're essentially setting up a two-sided market that has 50 different state regulatory demands and, and you know, uh, uh, 300 million different kind of um, healthcare uh, needs by each person being slightly unique. Um, and so that's actually a huge project. That's not just a website. Like you put up a website and you say, here's our, you know, here's what we do. It's a, it's a two-sided marketplace and it's a, it's a really big, um, it's a really big deal, but they didn't quite appreciate it or listen closely enough to the people who did appreciate it. And so it crashed. I mean, it crashed on like the first day it was, and it was, you know, it was, it was beyond embarrassing because this, this law was in a, essentially almost, almost synonymous with Obama himself, right? It was, it was his crowning achievement. It was um, really, really big deal. So this of course allowed his detractors to have a field day that this thing was crashing uh, so badly um, now, fast forward in, and they fixed it. They fixed it actually quite quickly, quite impressively through agile methods and so forth, getting the right team and the right expertise on it. But Obama was offered, you know, by several senior leaders, um, the opportunity to just, you know, stay away from it where they'd say, I'll take the blame. Um, and he said, and he said, no, you know, it's, I, I have to take, I have to step up and, and apologize and take responsibility uh, for this, because buck stops here. I don't think that would have been the case with the next president, would it? Uh, well, let's see. How do you spell opposite, right? With the next president, it would be exactly the opposite, right? The next president, and it's not. I mean, that's this isn't um, insulting. This is just factual. He has not yet once publicly ever said anything that was his fault. That he had any, you know, causal responsibility to anything that went south. But it's you know it's night and day really on that. Sorry to say, um, not not needing to go into those waters. But leadership is not easy. Yeah, and I think I heard somewhere where you talked about leadership is the responsibility of everybody, not just the senior leaders, but anybody in the team. Yes, yes. So leader, you know, the leader is a role. Leadership is an activity, right? Leadership is is a um, Leadership describes behaviors that influence others in positive ways and and help people, you know, bring their best selves forward. And peers can do that for each other, right? Even even subordinates can occasionally do that for you. Well, well, it goes back to the story of how you got to psychological safety. As you said, it's about the team working together and communicating together that one brings out the best, but also be able to 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 voice any failures, mistakes, or you know, challenges that come up. It is. It's, um, yeah, it's, it's a team sport to create a learning environment. Now, I, uh, one of the things I love about your book is that you have great stories and great examples. Tell us, tell us about Barbie Nicole Clicquot and her values. <laughs> yeah, so Barbie Nicole Ponsardin Clicquot, Ponsardin was her maiden name, was born in, in 1777 in, in the Champagne region of France, actually born into a textile family. They, they, were, in, they were 
business uh, folks in the textile business. Um, but she 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 was uh, married to uh, Francois Clicquot, and uh, they the two of them the young couple had the dream of starting uh, a wine business and starting a um, and and this was the Champagne region and they were quite intrigued by you know champagnes and the little bubbles. Now back then champagne was not what it is today. It was sort of cloudy and in fact Barb Nicole helped uh, helped create the clear beverage that we know uh, today and that is you know associated with celebration around the world. Um, but tragically, her husband died of, of influenza when she was 26. One would imagine, and everyone certainly expected at that time, that she would require quietly to the countryside with her children. And But she was determined uh, to continue this dream that she and Francois had of building this business. And what makes it a great story, in my view, is you know here is this dogged entrepreneur two centuries ago, um, who not, you know, not only succeeds wildly, but really creating one of the most famous and, and legendary brands and businesses in the world. But it is a story where that success is, is not automatic and not easy. It's a story of, of failure after failure after failure, setback after setback, some caused by bad harvests, some caused by storms that uh, got ships derailed, some got the product exploded in the ship's hull. I mean, you can't even, a war breaks out over here. You can't imagine a more a more challenging, rocky uh, path forward. Um, but she persists and she makes several real technical innovations in how the wine is is made that, that um are quite important, um, and and of course, it's it's ultimately a story of just tremendous and enduring success. So, Amy, tell us what are your three best ideas for happy workplace? I guess my my three best practices are to frame the work that lies ahead as necessarily uncertain and novel and to a certain degree, sometimes to a very high degree and sometimes to a lower degree. You know, in a sense anticipate not the not just the likelihood but the very real likelihood of setbacks and the experiments this is this is the you know you have to sort of really invite people to engage in experiments and provide the resources and the questions and um, the environment where people can then experiment and experiment thoughtfully together opportunities for brainstorming what are what are some good things that we could try and then also respond in ways that destigmatize failure, as you have already illustrated several times, you know, the celebrating of the mistakes and the failures, making sure people feel okay about themselves. In fact, more than okay, that they feel that their contributions to our learning have been substantial and appreciated. That productive, forward-looking response is absolutely crucial. Amy, you have been awesome. I could listen to you You're all so day. Kind. <laughs> no, it's brilliant. Um, I love the work that you have done, and I hope you continue with it. And, and psychological safety is on all of our courses. Oh, thank you. I'm so grateful. I mean, Amy is brilliant. First thing that got me was when she was talking about the know it all, stop being a know it all. And Henry, there's so many people that know it all and I've come across know-it-alls. I mean, sometimes I'm a know-it-all. But yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I can admit sometimes I'm a know-it-all. But it was the whole point of being able to learn over knowing. So let's learn more rather than holding on to what it is that we know. Well, I love the fact that the, that the book is about 
it's about effectively it is about celebrating uh, not mistakes but failures. And I'd love the and that that story of Barack Obama that he took full responsibility, even though you know. He wasn't involved in the detail. He wasn't involved in in the website, but he took full responsibility, and that's that's what we that's what we all need to do. Yes, definitely, definitely. I mean, there's so much more, Henry. But I would say, share your thoughts. Tell us what you got from this as well. So don't forget to leave your comments and your reviews, and subscribe. Subscribe, definitely subscribe, and uh, check out happy.co.uk which is where you'll find all of our courses and all of our all of our information that's right and don't forget to get amy's book yes definitely get amy's book (laughs) so see you next time and let's continue creating joyful workplaces